we go in and present Unlearn the World back again. Unlearn, man, you know, Hip Hop Game Demo of the Month 2004, Hip Hop Game Artist of the Month. Like, we go way, way back to when you started making music, um, or not really started making music, but really started pushing it online, I should say. And it's yeah. been amazing. You know, I know we recap our history every interview, but there's always new people listening that may not be aware. And so I just got to say, man, it's been 20 years at this point, and it's incredible to see everything you're doing, man. And I'm so happy for all the successes in your life, man. The most recent being the God That Sins album that you just dropped, um, already yeah. being talked about as one of the best projects of 2024, regardless of what else comes out, man. That's got to feel pretty good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a long time coming. Um, I, I gotta, you know, shout out to you for just always being supportive and we, we go back like car seats, right? Like 20 years, 50 years of hip hop and 20 years of unlearn the world and, and seven thirty <laughs> doing that's, the do. That's, right? that's 40%. You know that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we've, we've covered a lot of ground from the hip hop game days up until present day and watching you evolve as a journalist as well has always been something that's been inspiring to me. Um, and just growing up as oh, men, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like seeing you just be a dad and all that stuff. It's like, really, it's, it's amazing. So salute to you. But um, I yeah, it. I mean, I think, I think with the album Crowns, it was like a statement maker. And, and it was up to present day, even though people, fans of mine have their favorites, I think my favorite and my, my best album up to date was Crowns. Um, and then I did this album. <laughs> And I think the process by which I did it was so intentional from the ground up, from how I picked out the beats, from how I wrote the songs, to what was going on in the studio between me and my engineer, Wash, and the people I was bringing in. Um, we locked in on a formula. I think last project, I locked in on a particular sound. This project, I locked in on a formula that makes listening to an album in this climate where people aren't really listening to albums like that, um, I'm, I, I did what I looked to to do, and I'm very I'm very grateful and proud of that. No, it's an incredible listen, and you know, crowns crowns is incredible, and 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 this is too just the way you put everything together, the features, the production. You know, just going off the title itself first. You know, how did you come up with the title, "The God That Sins"? Um, it came down to the very first song. So the very first song of the album is called "Walk on Fire," and the the first bar. I say, uh, talking to the God that sins within me is my new religion. Uh, so I thought that would have, I thought it was an amazing phrase. It was something that it, it just came to me. Like I didn't like intend to it. Like it just came to me when I heard the beat. Um, and I said, you know what? This is, this is the name of the album. This has to be the name of the album. There's so many directions that you can go with that kind of term. Um, but it really just means humanity, right? It means human beings, mankind, our ability to create and build and develop and think and ideate just as much as we have the capacity and the ability to destroy and those impacts and just kind of internalizing that concept into my own life and who I am and what I do and how, how, not, how I feel I'm viewed in the eyes of certain people. Um, either, you know, looking at me as like a leader and somebody who, who does great community work or whatever the case is. But ultimately I'm a, I'm a real person who has real things going on in their life, just like everybody else and fallibilities and challenges and insecurities and all of that. And I felt it was important to kind of uh, speak to that on this album. You know what I'm saying? Not only as an adult and like somebody who's maturing and older within the culture, uh, but just in general, like making those kind of statements and, my my music has evolved so much over the last 20 some odd years where it went from like super at one point socially conscious and political um and making the pivot to something that was a little bit more human and i think i wanted to keep that energy on this album but really like capacity build like really like make every concept in the album every song as dense as possible lyrically but also musically something that you can enjoy no, I can see that. I mean, it takes a couple listens for each song to really, like, you keep hearing new things. Like, you know, you listen to it one time, you hear this, you listen again, you hear something different. Like, I love songs like that and projects like that because that replay value is through the roof, especially in a time where 
so many artists have, have come on the podcast, you know, talking about how music is disposable and how it doesn't get a chance to breathe. Like you've made this a project that you can't just give it one listen and say, oh, it's cool. Like what else came out? Right, exactly. I didn't want to do that. I think it's an album that, that is a testament to who I am as an artist. Um, it's a milestone album in terms of like the features and, and like the, 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 um, the way that it was crafted. Um, I think it makes a statement in and of itself that way. But I was intentional about everything, like I said, like in terms of like just the drops. I mean, and I, I, I dropped it on Bandcamp before it hit streaming services. And even it was going to drop on midnight. And at 1030, I'm still working with my engineer to get specific drops in specific areas of the song. I'm like emailing him timestamps and telling him to raise the vocals on specific sections because my attention to detail, particularly for this project, was something that I really wanted to make sure was ingrained. Like, it, like people can hear the amount of detail that I put into every aspect of the record, from the beats I chose to the drops that I have on my vocals to where the beat cuts out to where I yell or scream or do something in the background with an ad lib. All of this was intentional and all of this was made and catered and curated to create a certain effect and have a certain impact. So um, I'm glad that, that that level of detail that I put into it is translating into people listening to each song more than once for the album having replay value, especially in this climate, like you said, where a lot of music is disposable. Rappers are being driven by their own metrics to do anything. Um, and it, in many cases, kills the creativity of it. It's no longer art at that point. It's really a job and you're just trying to hit your marks and renegotiate with your label. Or if you're independent, you make your money and you move on to something else. You know, we're in an era where people are dropping EPs every month or EPs every other month just to keep the, 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 the cash flow going. But for me, it's like, where's the art? I want to spend time. I want to spend a year working on an album. I want to lock myself in the studio for eight hours a day and like really be intentional with my collaborators on how this sounds. I want to make art. And that's what I set out to do my entire career. And I'm glad I'm in a space where I can do it and I can do it on my own terms. And, and, and the people respond in the way that they've been responding. No doubt. And is that also why you worked so much with the track pros on this? Because you guys could get in the studio and like, was, was that kind of your, your, your process there with, with the track pros? Because I mean, they, they, they did the majority of the album here. Yeah. I mean, I think it was important for me to, I, I wanted to be in rapper mode. I didn't want to be in rapper producer mode, which is what I was on, on crowns. Crowns, I did like 80% of the production, right? We had DJ Payne one, we had Jake one, we had some hitters, Nobby and, um, but aside from them, it was kind of like, I want my, I want my beats to compete with some Grammy nominated and Grammy award winning producers. And let's see how we can make an album where my beats and the way that I craft a, a, a piece of music is comparable to some of the industry's best producers. And I think we achieved that on crowns in this album. I wanted to do it with rappers. So I needed to step away from the, the beat making producer. Well, I was still a producer, but the beat making mindset of sitting down hitting the pads, sampling, chopping up samples. I wanted to move away from that and really just get with a producer whose sound was very similar to mine, but offers something that was maybe a little bit more current, offers something that was a little bit more advanced. So come then stumbling upon track pros and seeing who they worked with. They've worked with, you know, J.I.D. they worked with Conway. they worked with uh, Ransom. they worked with a lot of the rappers who are in my category or in my cloth or ilk of artistry. So it made sense for me as I'm listening to their music, like this sounds like my beats, but they just are better, um, you know, admittedly. So why not just be in rapper mode and let these beats talk to me in the way that they would talk to me as an MC? And then let me pair myself or put myself with the MCs that I admire the most. And you can hear where I'm at lyrically. Right. Um, and that was important for me. That's amazing. You said stumbled upon, man. So like what, what, how did you find Track Pros, I guess? Um, it was a song with, I think, Sue Surf and Benny the Butcher. And um, I heard, I, it was, it, it's on my workout playlist. And I've been, I was listening to it and I'm bobbing on it. And I'm like, this beat is crazy. 
It has like the 808s in certain areas, but it slaps like a boom bap record. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I found them. I, I heard their catalog. I went to their website and I tapped in with them and I was like, all right, I'm going to just start working with this main producer. Um, and I got other producers on it. Jake One is on there. Shout out to Jake One. He's, you know, I've, I've tapped in with him for, for decades at this point, um, as long as I've known you. <laughs> uh, but then we also had Swisher Beats. We had Buck Roll Beats. We had some people literally just found beats on BeatStars um, that kind of matched the vibe of the records that I was doing with Track Pros. And I was like, okay, like we have those producers. And I made a couple of tracks as well. I did Dominoes. I did... Uh, more money, more time, and I think there's one more. More Connie Flowers is the other one that I did on the on, on the album. But having like this vast array of producers with one particular producer group putting together the majority of the album gave me the feel of it was written, right? Where it was written was the follow up to the classic Illmatic, and for me, I think my classic was Crowns. So considering that that was my classic, I had to do something to improve, improve upon what I did with Crowns. So I got into It Was Written mode with this one. Like, what did Nas do when It Was Written? He brought back LES, he brought back Premier, but then he started working with Trackmasters. And Trackmasters allowed him to excel and, and, and really do something that was in his pocket, but was also more commercially viable. Um, and so that was kind of one of my albums as a point of reference. And when I started working on this album, I was listening to a lot of it was written, uh, working on this album and making those comparisons between Nas and Trackmasters and Unlearn the World and Track Pros. So shout out to Track Pros for the work they did on this album because it really it really got me in my bag. No, they they did a great job on this too. Like I really love their sound. And you know, the first song I ever heard from you was Love Me, Hate Me, produced by Jake One. And that's the song that like, whoa, like you know, just the sound of Jake one, you know, fit your style perfectly where I could really just see your vision as an artist back then and hear your style and just like the uniqueness in your punchlines, um, the flow, the delivery, like everything um, was just it was just a great match. And now that you're back with Jake one now, we're looking, you know, you guys have done some tracks over the years, but like what's that relationship really meant to you? And what is Jake one able to get out of you as an MC? Um, Jake One is like the the inspiration behind the lyrics, behind my beat making. Um, and I told him, like, when, you know, when I when I started reconnecting with him, I told him, I said, I remember listening to your beats in the Def Jam office. My manager was working for Murder, Inc. at the time. And we would go to the Def Jam office and we would listen to all these beats from all these different producers. But Jake One's beats came up and I've been hearing them in these big ass speakers. And I'm like, this dude is the next Dr. Dre. There's something in his production that speaks to a very grimy, boom bap driven feel, but has something else that's very textured and unique and melodic. And his diversity was what spoke to me, even in those early beat tapes. I mean, I still have them. I got Jake One beat tapes from 2002, 2003 that still have... If I played you some of the stuff, it would still be fire, right? I could still record on it and people would love it. Um, so with that said, just seeing him evolve as a producer and for him to be as successful as he is now working with Drake and working with J. Cole and like working with Mary J. Blige and 50 and like everybody in his discography, um, it let me know that my ear for talent matches my ability to be a, a talented artist like i can hear and i know talent when i hear it right i i when i first heard jay cole i knew that was he was going to be a star i knew that off the rip um hearing jake one for the first time i knew that i was listening to a producer who was going to impact the culture in a way that i aspired to impact the culture so seeing what he's done in the game over the last 20 years is a testament for at least for me it's very uh, vindicating in terms of I, I know talent and I'm glad I'm happy that I have the opportunity to work with talent and you know what I'm saying? And even, you know, even him liking the songs that I actually produced on, on, or make with his beats is, is kind of like a, a badge of honor, right? Because you, you know, you, you work with a lot of producers in many cases distantly. Um, you share your work with them and they, they may or may not like it. They may or may not be inspired by it. But if I send it to him and he gives me a flame emoji for me, that's like a badge of honor. I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with that. And, um, you know, the beats that I, I heard from him recently, like the, the, these were the ones that 
that spoke out. Last last album, I think we had the song Energy Never Dies, um, which was a very introspective track, but people loved it. I think a fan of mine just posted it today. Um, but then uh, Source Awards was, I mean, I performed that anywhere and it goes nuts. Like people who have never seen me perform, who never knew who I was as an artist, hear Source Awards and they really, they're in it. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm into this dude. Let's see what he has next. No, that, that that's incredible, man. You know, you talk about, you know, the track pros, you know, being able to do a sound similar to yours, but better, like you said, um, and not not talking about which is better or not, but like, what do the track pros bring out of you as an MC that maybe you don't feel other other producers, including yourself, might do? Um, I mean, like I said, it it it's, it sounds like my production, but because they've already laid the groundwork, it allows me to just be in rapper brain. And I'm not thinking about the snare and the kick and the sample anymore, along with writing rhymes. When I'm working on crowns, I'm literally making the beat and I'm thinking of the raps and I'm thinking of the drums and I'm thinking of the mix. So my brain is all over the place. And there are so many spaces where my, my, my work ethic has to go, as opposed to just being concentrated on lyrics. Um, so they brought that out of me. They brought a lot of introspection out of me. They brought this like cinematic feel. Every one of the beats that I chose for this album from Track Pros had a very cinematic feel to it. Like either it was big and anthemic or it was underground and gritty. And I could, I could visibly see the music videos for each of these songs. So like the next few months, I'm gonna spend a lot of time figuring out what songs need visuals and working on that. But I think every track that they produced lends itself to something that can be uh, translated visually. And, and that's something that allowed me as an artist to see what it is that I was writing about and be able to craft these kind of intricate verses that include introspection and include these like stories that either if I, if I haven't, if I've already touched on in my career, I can touch on with a lot more depth. Um, and, and I think that they, their production allowed that for me. It allowed me to get deeper than I've ever been before, or more honest than I've ever been before. Um, and then put me in a producer bag, not just a beat maker, but like really a producer. So like now I'm thinking, okay, I have my verses, we have the beat, who else can I get on this record? How can I get them on this record? What else is needed? Like, you know, locking in with my engineer also, it really just amplified the entire experience. And and that that's something I noticed too. You know, I know Crowns was a very personal album for you, but this like is super personal. I mean, how how do you balance what you what you put out there and write and record and release versus what you want to keep to yourself or maybe not share with all of your listeners? Like, wh where's that line for you in terms of like what feels good sharing and what doesn't? Um, I think it's uh, it's it's you know I've been doing a lot of therapy work right over the last three years i started therapy in the pandemic in 2020 um mainly because i knew i needed it um at a certain point I, there were people in my life who i knew needed it and i, I was thinking to myself like if they need it then i need it <laughs> so that allowed me just take just going to therapy really allowed me to just open up and be a lot more honest with myself and you know the work continues in between therapy sessions. It's not like I just come to a therapy session and completely unload my life or whatever's bothering me at the time. When that session is over, I'm still actively doing the work. I'm wondering why, or I'm, I'm thinking as to why I'm emotionally charged or reactive to certain situations or circumstances. And I'm, I'm allowing myself to explore the root causes of the behavior patterns that I'm noticing within myself. So part and parcel of that healing and that growth process is being honest. And if I can't be honest with my audience, then I'm not really going to be honest with myself. It's, it's one of the things, like I was saying earlier, when I was doing a lot of music early on in the mixtape days, a lot of it was politically charged and socially charged, but it was creating a conflict within me because there are other aspects of my personality that I wanted to cover that I didn't feel like my fans would relate to or they, they may have thought that I was kind of moving off the driven path of, of this politically charged rap. Um, but you have to be in a place of comfort in order to, to kind of just be that vulnerable. And I think that anything that I shared on the album 
is something that I'm comfortable discussing with anybody uh, only because I'm able to, I've, I've been able to emotionally process it. I've been able to give language to it and now I'm able to control it or at least start the process uh, or the journey of controlling it, be it an impulse, be it uh, me being overweight and struggling with my weight, be it relationship issues, whatever it is, I wanted to show humanity, right? The God that sins is humanity. So I wanted to show that I am a human, despite my lyrical ability, despite my talent, despite the critical acclaim of my last album or whatever, I'm going to show you a human being and what I have to wrestle with behind the scenes of all of the things that I, I produce. No doubt. That's, that's incredible. You know, and as someone who, you know, you started therapy in your like late thirties, forties, like what do you, what advice do you have for others that are in our age range that are thinking about this or maybe they've avoided it or think this isn't for me? Like what advice do you have in terms of like using therapy to really like address deep seated issues and, and reflection and really grow um, in the future? You know, I mean, it really, there's various forms of therapy, and I, I suggest that anybody, everybody who is considering it or has been considering it, explore those options to see what fits you best. Talk therapy for me because I get paid to speak fits me best. And in that conversation, things arise, things come up that I'm able to really, it allows me to really process. Um but I really think it's, it's, it's like looking around and taking inventory of your life and recognizing whether or not you are staggered or stilted in, in, in what you're trying to do or who you're trying to be, I think, first and foremost, and what you are trying to accomplish. And if you're recognizing that your progress in who you're trying to be or what you're trying to accomplish is being thwarted or you're always driven off track, you got to start thinking about the things that are happening in your behavior that are causing those things. It's taking radical accountability, right? I can't keep blaming everybody else for the problems that I'm having and then wonder why I'm still in the same position now that I was five years ago. And, you know, not to say that that was my experience, but I see it a lot. I see it a lot with artists particularly. So what I've been adding into like my curriculum as an educator, right? Like working with hip hop for change and doing all of that. What I've added is telling my students, your journey in artist development really is parallel to your journey in self-discovery. And the more you can understand yourself as a person, the better equipped you are to develop yourself as an artist. And I, I, I've applied that to myself. I've seen the results. So I can speak with a, from a space of authority in that philosophy. Um, and it's something that I've just added to my, like, my, my overall ethos as an artist, as an educator, as a father. It's like, you want to be creative? Really get in tune with who you are. And then you'll know how to create. So that's that's what I'm seeing now. That's where we're at now. That's incredible. And as you go through these changes and this growth, do you find your writing process changing as well? Um, a little bit in that, like it's it's a lot faster. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like one thing that a lot of people have given me feedback on from this album is like, yo, you're getting better. <laughs> and I'm in my forties. So for a rapper in their 40s to be getting better is not something that you hear often. But the, the rappers that I listen to who I can say that to or say that about are the people who I admire the most and the people who I think fit in my, my realm of lyricism, right? The, the, the black thoughts of the world, the method mans of the world, the like, you know what I'm saying? Some of these OGs that can still go on Funk Flex and rap for 15 minutes and kill everything that happens, like kill a mic, like what do we... You know what I'm saying? Like there, there are rappers who are even in their established role or their role as an elder statesman in the culture, their ability to get better lyrically, um, I think just speaks to just the sport of it. And for me, it wasn't just about a sport of being a dope rapper and putting words together. It was about how do I be a better songwriter? Um, how can I, you know, take the, the skill set of MC, the, the performance ability, the wordplay, the multisyllabic rhyme schemes and all of that, but let me pair it with actual honest storytelling that has heart, that has grit, that has all the things that makes for a great listening experience, right? There are, um, I've been saying it a lot lately, there are the magicians and then there are the movies. Right. And the difference between the two is that the magician can entertain and you're entertained 
by their ability to do magic. You're not moved by that. You're not inspired by that. But a movie will make you cry. A movie will make you laugh. A movie will have all of these things in it to give you an emotion and to have an emotional response. So there's that level of entertainment, but then there's also the entertainment of just being clapping your hands after you see a rabbit come out of the hat. Um, and if you combine both, if you give them the pomp and circumstance of the performance and the magic, but you also give them the movie, you create an experience that is something that people carry with them. And every album that I put out, I want people to carry an experience with them. I want that last song to finish playing and you just sigh out of just like, what did I just listen to, right? Like that's the, that's the hope. Um, and you know, I, I, feel like, I, I feel like a lot of people who heard this album, The God That Sins, um, felt that way. No doubt. And you got incredible features on there too. Like we're looking at Sean Price, Rest in Peace, Ghostface, Benny, Royce the Five Nine. Like how did you go about getting these features and really thinking of how you're going to craft songs with, you know, with these verses from other artists? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's music industry stuff, just finding mutual contacts and putting the word out to them. Or even if the verse was like uh, pre-recorded in many cases, it's just kind of curating where the verse is going to go. Um, but being very intentional about the artist that I wanted to and the artist that I had access to. So Royce the Five Nine, he actually produced one of the remixes for the record I have with Benny the Butcher. Um, so that was kind of easy in terms of just like being able to get a verse from him, especially if Sean Price is on it uh, with a posthumous verse. Um, so there was that. And then um, just mutual links to Ghostface. And I've, I've performed with Ghostface several times. So that, that made sense for this album. Like if I'm going to do features, I'm going to do it with the features that make the most sense that I have the easiest access to, that I'm not just some Joe Schmo off the street who's going to get overcharged for a verse. Like, this has to make sense. And it has to make sense on the record that I'm putting them on. Not just a feature for the sake of features, but rather, like, creating a record that kind of can stand on its own. Like, all right, I am now lyrically competing with my heroes. So I have to show up in a way that makes this record sound as authentic as possible. There are artists who get a feature from an, uh, a bigger named artist and they're literally in the studio with each other. And it still doesn't have the same level of chemistry that I can put against any of the album, any of the songs I have that have a featured artist on it. Mainly because one, me as just like a and in my own project, I know exactly what pocket to be in and what pocket that the verses should, should be in in terms of the beat that they're on. Um, but then me as an artist showing up and saying, okay, we're going to create, we're going to create an energy. We're going to create this, 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 uh, and when I say record, it's more than just a song. It's more than just a track. It's a record. Like we, you can go back to this time and time again, you know, um, just yesterday, uh, the song I have with Ghostface, Uncanny Behavior charted on iTunes. Um, so that was a trip. Uh, but it's one of the records that everybody is telling me is, is, is one of their favorites. Um, and it just, because it sounds, it sounds, um, cohesive, it sounds authentic, it sounds honest. And that's what I was going for with every feature I chose, every verse that I, I wrote, all of those things that those were the, those were the, that was the criteria for me. That's amazing. And, and when you look to, like you talked about being in your forties and still getting better, I mean, there's a rare class of MCs that's still on, on, on that path, you know, like either they, they, they may be late thirties, but you know, late thirties, forties, like ransom graph, you, like, yeah. you look at like some, some of some, some artists who have had, you know, Ito, like they, they were out, you know, in the, in the mid, early mid two thousands and they're still doing it now at a really high level. And not every artist from that hip hop game, digital era, we can say that about, you know, Joel Ortiz right. is, a, is another is another artist you can say that about who's incredible. Like, a lot of artists really do keep getting better, but it's not not everyone. Yeah, I think you have to have a hunger for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, shout out to Graf. Graf has a hunger for it. He raps like I was hearing about Graf in like 2000. I was going to like I think it was DJ Rock Raiders' house and hearing Graf records, and I was just like, yo, this kid's amazing. 
right? Like I thought he was, you know, he just put out something that he called himself the black Eminem. And I was like, that's hundred percent right. When I first heard him, I was like, hey, this is Eminem for black people. Um, based on like the multi-syllable rhyme schemes, the wit, yeah. uh, his delivery, the imagery. you know, like all of that, the imagery, like everything. And just like, he's, he's, he's always been that dude for me. He's always been in terms of contemporaries. He's always been somebody that I look up to and respect him, Joel, Sky Zoo, like all of these guys, we were all on the same platform. Um, back in the hip hop game days. And they would be always the rappers that I would go to to listen to their new stuff and be inspired by. Um, and I know from that vantage point that they share the same hunger that I have in terms of doing this rap shit. Uh, but aside from that, it's, it's also like, you know, I think we're all slept on. I think we're all criminally slept on in terms of the music industry, in terms of hip hop, in terms of underground hip hop. And I think that that's the that's the um, proverbial sand in the in the clam that creates the pearl, right? Having that kind of chip on your shoulder that you still have something to prove is what gets you to be better. And that's always driven me. I've always, you know, what I'm saying like I used to read a lot of the comments in hip hop game and and people, you know, though giving me praise, also giving me criticism and. I don't live my life based on comments, but that was something that was always driving me to be better. In this particular album, I was putting out songs. I put out the song with Benny and I was like, all right, well, now I have a, a Benny feature and I have a dope record with him and people are loving it. What do I give them next? <laughs> and how do I give it to them without relying on the clout or the, uh, the name recognition of another artist? So then I came out with Bread's Bricks on it which I actually recorded before the Benny record. Um, but I knew the minute I heard that beat, shout out to Aesthetic uh, Beats. Um, the minute I heard that beat, I knew like this is going to be a monster of a record if I hit it out of the park lyrically. Uh, and I feel like I did that. I think I went crazy on that record. And, um, you know, so if you are a fan of Unlearn the World, you hear me on a Benny record, that's like, oh shit, that's really dope. Then you hear Bread Bricks Hundreds and you're like, holy shit, what's going on? And then you hear this album and you're like, yo, what? Like, that's that's the kind of the upper echelon. You just got to keep raising the bar. So even now, like the album has been out on streaming for a week and I'm already thinking about like, well, how am I going to raise the bar from this album and whatever it is that I do musically afterwards? No doubt. And, and going back to Bread's Bricks Hundreds, like how, how <laughs> you know, look, looking at the at the the ode to, to Prodigy there, like, what kind of impact did Prodigy and Mob Deep have on you as an artist? Um, I was an intern at Loud Records at 15 years old. Uh, I used to walk home with every Prodigy or Mob Deep beat snippet, song snippet. I mean, I would, I would just carry them out of the office. <laughs> and I was obsessed. I was obsessed with the songs that never saw the light of day that I heard. Um, I was obsessed with the songs that, that everybody loved. Um, and I loved Prodigy's voice. I thought he had one of the doper rap voices ever. Um, and I was a fan. I was a true fan of Mob Deep when, when at the height of their uh, uh, career. Um, you know, those, those rap duos, Helter Skelter, Mob Deep, Wu-Tang, I am a student of all of them. Uh, but Prodigy particularly, like when he started working with Alchemist and like just his ev evolution as an artist himself away from Mob Deep always gave me inspiration. I really thought that he was starting to get into a, a, a deeper bag and being himself on those records. So uh, also he has one of the, he has some of the dopest opening lines in hip hop. <laughs> so thinking about that record, um, keep it thorough and the Alchemist produced beat and how he starts it. I break bread, ribs, $100 bills. The beat called for it because the, the, the kick in the beat is thumping just like that. It's hitting that same cadence. And when I was trying to think of a hook that could be call and response and still nod to this older era, uh, it, it just came naturally. <laughs> it came, the, the, the song is so anthemic that that particular bar from that song came naturally to serve as a hook to this one. So now when I perform it, I just, I just performed the song in Art Basel 
Um, and I actually also performed it with Raekwon not too long ago. And at the tail end of the record, I have the DJ switch it to the Keep It Thorough record. And then you hear Prodigy at the end. And people, it, it, I think it takes people a while to remember where that bar came from if they're not of my age or your age, right? If they're a little bit younger, but they're still a hip hop head, it just reminds them of where they come from. And I think that's a testament to my career. I try to remind people where this shit comes from. It comes from New York. It comes from these talented artists that literally influenced the entire planet from a specific era of time. And I don't think it should ever be lost on us that I am a product of that era. All of your favorite rappers are a product of that era. And even your favorite rappers now who don't even seem like they're connected to that era, enjoy the fruits of that labor, right? In terms of the money they're getting, in terms of the optics they're getting, that was all paved by the golden era artists that a lot of us are influenced by. And part of my brand as an artist is to hearken back to that time, right? Some could say that makes my sound dated, but I actually think that on the contrary, it makes my sound relevant with a callback to something that was more generationally um, accepted. So that that's it's intentional when I do things like that. No, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I appreciate you also shouting out that hip hop game audio page and the feedback, man, because I can remember even posting up stuff that I produced for artists and sometimes it's good. Sometimes <clears throat> it's not like I still remember comments like, you know, this sounds like some amateur stuff, like, you know, take this down. Yeah. Like, like what feedback from those pages stood out, stood out to you. And, and before you answer also got a shout out hater 96. I have no idea who that person <laughs> was, but that person always had like just the, the most incendiary comments for anyone. And, and it might've been kind of like a parody um, at the same time, but those Hater 96 was like a mainstay on the hip hop game audio page. Um, never, never yeah. knew who it was, but just shout out to whoever was running that that name <laughs> because they were wild. And, and I always appreciate it. I, I, I would look for their comments just to see what wild stuff they had to say. Yeah, I think I think, you know, we didn't realize it back then, but that paved the way for where we're at now in terms of social media and people hiding behind computers to make comments that they probably would never say in the faces of the people they're commenting on. Um, but for me, I think there was one particular comment. I don't remember all the hate because I don't really have time for that. But there was one particular comment where Homeboy just went in. Like, he literally wrote, like, a paragraph. It was an essay on not me being bad, but necessarily, like, my inability for, uh, to write a song which really rang out to me, right? So I spent a lot of years after the fact working on my songwriting ability, not just lyrical, miracle rap, which I knew I could do, but it was my ability to write the song that that, that particular comment always kind of gave me some fuel for the fire. You know what I mean? Like even to this day, I, I don't remember the exact words, but I remember the comment. I remember reading it. I remember how I felt when I read it. Um, but it, 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 it's all motivation, you know? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's you... Therapy teaches you to recognize that people are in their own experience. And if you're inclined to leave a negative comment on something, it is a testament more about you than about the artist or the person you are criticizing. And I use that for everything, right? Like that's, I can't internalize this. But also, I'm of a personality that I try to walk with a certain level of humility that I accept truth, even if it's from somebody that I hate. And I accept truth. I accept something that's real, even from somebody I may not like, or even if I don't like the way it was said. At, at a certain point, I gotta, I, I gotta like settle with it. Um, in this particular case, I think uh, it sat with me and it helped me be better at what I do. Um, like I said, that that sand in the clam, like that's that's what that was for me. Um, but you need those people, and, and for whatever reason, those people need to get their shit off. Um, and if they're able to do it on a safe platform uh, where they're not hurting anybody physically um, and they're not like an anonymous hacker ruining the website or the platform, it's, it's fine. That's, that's, it's fair game. You can't expect to please everybody, and I don't. Yeah, no, that, that, that's the, the gift and the curse, right, of releasing music and being an artist. You want people to, to love it, but you also know that not everyone's going to love everything you do. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I, I stopped trying to people please everybody a long time ago when it comes to my music. Um, I know the lane that I'm in. I, I like to be experimental. Um, some fans may not like that. Some fans may like me strictly for my boom bap rap and my lyrical miracle rap. They may not like when I do a reggaeton inspired record. They may not like when I do an Afrobeat inspired record. They may not like when I do a trap record. Um, and then there are other people who know me just for those things. They really enjoy that. I have an oddly weird amount of female fans as an underground rapper mainly because I allow myself to be versatile so that females can actually listen to my music and appreciate it. And it's not just talking about like drugs and killing people and fucking side bitches or whatever the, the topic du jour is for most rappers. Um, so I, I put that into account. Like there's a, there's a good group, uh, percentage of my fan base that actually appreciates the versatility that emboldens me to do things that are a little bit off the beaten path. And I recognize that I'm doing this as an artist who wants to kind of expand their horizons. And I recognize that not everybody's going to like that. So that's fair. That's fair. And I'm open to the criticism to get better. Um, and then worst case scenario, I can write for another artist and I never have to do it. But, you know, it, it comes with the territory. No doubt. And, you know, in our last interview, which we did about a year ago, episodes 84 and 85, we talked a lot about Hip Hop for Change, which is one of the reasons we're yep. not rehashing a lot of that conversation today but um you know especially with with um you know the new music coming out but i would encourage folks to go back and listen to that episode just from those two episodes really for for more on you know what we talked about with hip-hop education and systemic racism in in the the in education but um i also don't want us to leave this interview without talking about the the the, the amazing moves you're making for hip hop for change and so recently you announced partnerships with both the California Department of Education and the Hip Hop Education Center how excited are you about those partnerships and and what does that mean for hip hop for change and the programming and and what you guys can do yeah i think it's a game changer it is a game changer. If we're thinking about 50 years of hip hop, my question throughout the entire last year was, where are we going in the next 50 years? And we're, yes, the music is there, the culture is there, but I think as a culture, we are now making inroads into institutions and systems, institutions and systems of finance, in, of business, of politics and policy, but more particularly of education. There are so many rappers that we know and love that also um, do education work, right? Shout out to Wordsworth, who does education work. Shout out to Graf, who started to do like a, a hip-hop therapy kind of uh, music class. Shout out to Domingo, who's doing music production in juvenile detention centers. And, you know, I was doing this work 10 years ago. I was doing this work... Uh, as education director for Hip Hop for Change, I started doing this work six years ago and building my own team. But it's a movement. Hip Hop Education is a movement. So to partner with Hip Hop Education Center, and shout out to Marco Diaz, who's been doing amazing work in terms of developing and quantifying uh, the research to show the efficacy of hip hop uh, education and culturally responsive pedagogy. Um, shout out to her. Shout out to, uh, you know, the the... Department of Education in, in, in California or California Department of Ed, um, it puts us in a very unique position of providing programming for people who want to implement hip hop into their classroom settings. I think our organization more than any other is very uniquely positioned to provide that level of training, to provide that level of support, but more particularly really support the Hip Hop Education Center in their research which is the, the biggest challenge. It's how do we quantify the efficacy of hip-hop and hip-hop culture and hip-hop forms of expression in a way that makes institutions of education recognize its inherent value, right? As hip-hop artists, it's easy for us to recognize the value because hip-hop saved all of our lives, right? That's, that we can give you anecdote after anecdote of that. Now, how do we quantify those anecdotes with actual data? How do we show the percentages, the demographics, the metrics, all of those numbers and all of that? But that's not research that is adequately funded. So if I'm in a position to not only fund and support the research, um, but also 
leverage the research in and of itself to provide more opportunities for local artists to become mentors, for local artists to be emboldened or, or to be supported in their brands as artists. Um, that's what I'm going to do because I'm culture driven. I'm not industry driven. I'm driven by the efficacy and the impact of this culture on young people for them to be able to remix, rethink, and reclaim their reality for themselves. And I think that once we have a very cohesive network of people doing this work and when we're well-funded and well-researched, you're going to see amazing changes in the space of education from kindergarten up until the university level. You're part of that journey yourself as a journalist, as an educator, and all the things that you've done um, in your space and in your world, right? Like, so I just think that it's many hands making for light work. Let's continue to build and collaborate with everybody so that we can really change the world that we, in the way that we've wanted to. No, that's that's amazing. And are you seeing more and more teachers on board with hip hop education and not not resistant or not thinking that they can only use, you know, hip hop, hey, like write a rap to review for your biology test. But like like what you said, like the deeper meanings and themes that really undergird what hip hop education, hip hop based education really is. Are you seeing that shift? Yeah, I, I am. I'm starting to see this shit. I mean, even in the six years that I've been doing this work as, as, as in, in the capacity that I've been doing it, um, I used to step into rooms with administrators and principals with a lot of trust deficit. They don't trust hip-hop. They don't trust the hip-hop organization. They, they, they don't really understand or, or make the connection between hip-hop and education, and I had to do a lot of work to establish these relationships and to prove myself time and again. Um, and I'm never stranger to proving myself or trying to prove myself. Uh, that's kind of like my, my underdog garment is always being worn at any given time. <laughs> so to being in those environments where they underestimate the efficacy of the work and then they see the impact in the lives of the children, right? They may not have wanted to book an assembly for hip hop artists, but then when they see the way that their kids react and respond to what we do in assemblies, to what we do in workshops, they, they recognize the value. It's hard not to. Um, so having those wins over the course of the last six to 10 years has really shifted the paradigm for me. Now we're being welcomed in schools. We're really being um, actively uh, scouted and recruited and people are looking to partner with us because they see not only the work that we're doing in the school, but the work that we're doing in the community. And I think part of the next journey or the next step in that journey is to bring it outside the school and start creating, at least in the Bay Area, really creating that infrastructure and that ecosystem to really support local artists, not only to be artists themselves, but to be mentors in their community and to give young creatives a sense of communal responsibility grounded in the history of hip hop that will allow them to really thrive, not only as an artist, but as a member of their community that's improving the psychological makeup, if not the cultural integrity of the community in and of itself, right? And this is where the rubber meets the road as it relates to policy change and systems impact and all of that, right? We're not going to combat the systems and institutions of white supremacy with just individuals protesting. We have to combat it with counter systems and counter institutions. And I think hip hop as a cultural movement is in a unique position to create those systems and institutions with allies who are anti-racist, with allies who are politically savvy and wanna see a better world. And I think that as again, as an organization, we are uniquely uh, positioned to be on the front line of that fight. No, that's amazing, man. And and have you seen the impact just in stories, in data? Like, what have you seen so far that, that's let you know, hey, we are on the right path and we got to keep building and expanding what we're doing? Um, I mean, I see it in the kids that I teach every day. I see it in the fifth grader that I taught five years ago who's now a high school student who's making beats. I see it in the kids who want to write raps and perform at such younger ages than when I started rapping and performing. Like, I, I, I really see... It, in, in, in that sense of giving kids a voice, how could you not see the impact and the change? Um, I'm, I get stopped in the grocery store uh, by parents whose children were in programs of mine saying, look, since they took that program or since they went to that camp or they did that assembly, they haven't been the same. They're actually improved. They've done so much better in school. They've, they, they're creative. They lock themselves in the room and they make beats forever. And 
I love hearing those stories. So I know that we have the impact. I'm hearing it from the parents. I'm hearing it from the teachers. I'm hearing it from the principals. I'm hearing it from my, my staff of educators. Um, so I know it's there. It's really the challenge of like getting it on paper so that we can better fund it, right? So when we have partners like California Department of Ed and Hip Hop Education Center, we're now in that space to kind of really make a move for it uh, on a national level. That's amazing, man. And you know, your, your 2024 is already off to an incredible start, man. So how do you keep this momentum going, man? Like what else do you want to accomplish this year? Um, there's so much, there's so much. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get into filmmaking. Uh, so that's a new frontier for me, really refining my website, uh, merch, really just branding myself as an artist, but I feel also as a thought leader in this space. It's not just about the music. It's never been just about the music for me. It's like, let's take it to the next level. The music just kind of uh, is the intro point and the entry point. Um, but let's really make the impact in the way that we do. So there's a lot of things on the horizon. I don't want to reveal too much right now, but because it's not solidified, but you can expect a tour. You can expect new merch. You can expect a lot of lectures and presentations that I'll be filming, a web series, radio, podcasting, a lot. Um, just to really expose myself as a thought leader, as a, a, uh, as a brand. Um, but it really comes down to just being dope with the music and really showing people that even in your 40s, you can still kill it and still have a, a significant level of progress in your career as long as you really believe in yourself and you're really willing to invest in yourself and bet on yourself. And I'll tell you, every time I've betted on myself in the last few years, I've won more than I've ever thought I could. And that has emboldened me to bet even more on myself, to even double down. So, you know, it, it, it's a game and it's my game to lose. That's how I feel. That's amazing, man. I love that, man. You know, thank you so much for coming on episode 114. We go into presents, man. Always great to catch up with you. Likewise, brother. Thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs>